today, we're picking up where we left off here in verses 11 through 14, just through the end of the chapter. And I, I had a few different titles kicking around in my head, but I really think this sermon title captures this, this passage because it's, it's connected to love. You can't separate all that we're going to cover today from love. But I'll tell you this, if you just drop in and you read these verses without the context, you might miss the connection to love. So at points along the way, I'm going to point our attention back to previous verses and why Paul would, would come here when thinking about love. Love for God and love for others. So verse 10, Romans 13, he writes this, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so we had that sermon a couple weeks ago, love one another. And the love is a two-directional kind of love. It starts with a vertical aspect. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it moves from there out to love your neighbor as yourself. And we saw that self-love is not hard for us. That is natural. It's what we're all inclined to. What is hard is love for neighbor and uh, love for others, even love for enemies, as we saw Paul call us to. So the connection here today is between love and holiness. Love and holy, obedient living. And i got to tell you, I did not see this in these verses when I started studying. It just jumped out as I was in these verses. I was like, oh, I see what he's doing here. This is tied with love. So let's dig in here and move through these verses one by one and see this unfold. The top of this, uh, this verse uh, is the day, the day is at hand. That's what I would call this. The day is at hand. Verse 11. So the thought continues. Love, the love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, Paul says, you know the time. For uh, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Okay, so all of a sudden there's a shift, a change in, in, in the focus of this love, and he's calling us to attention. The call here is, wake up! Christians are being addressed. That's us. Wake up! It's not time to sleep any longer. I've got three key words for each of these verses. The first key word is urgency. Urgency. There's an urgency to the time in which we find ourselves. We are those who have been called out of darkness and into light. We are those who have been called to life and to prepare the way for the return of the king. And he left saying, I'm coming again. I'm going to come again and I'm going to take you to myself. So we live in an urgent time. The word Paul used to describe this This time is not the word chronos, as in calendar time or clock time. He says kairos. Know the time. The time is near. This is the age or the era that we find ourselves in. This this time has everything to do with what comes next. Okay, so if if you're thinking about the larger picture of redemptive history and you understand that all of the Old Testament was pointing to a huge event. That event took place when Jesus was brought in incarnate in a manger, sent from the Father and arrived, and then lived His life and laid His life down on the cross and rose after three days. And then 
appeared to many, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. What's the next thing? The next thing is rapture. That's, that's the point. That's what he's saying. The very next thing is rapture. So there's work to be in. Yes, we're in the church age, absolutely. But none of us know how long that will go. <clears throat> and Jesus was clear with his disciples that it, we're not just you know, sitting around. Even the angels, when they were staring up into heaven, the angels are like, guys, what are you doing? Why are you standing still, right? Why are you staring up in the sky? There's work to be done. Get to work. We're to know the time in which we live. Wake up, Christian. Be alert. That's the call from Paul. The rapture of the church is what is next, followed by the seven years of tribulation, which at the end of those seven years, the Lord Himself will return bodily to establish His physical earthly kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. He will reign. We will reign with Him. And at the end of those thousand years, there will be a great defeat of Satan who is released and peoples will war against uh, the Lord and He will put them down and He will assign those to the lake of the fire who do not trust in Christ and have not looked to Him in faith. And all those who are alive in Christ will forever be with Him and a new heavens and new earth are established. So just a very summary form of what is coming. This is the timeline for us Christians. The very next thing is the rapture of the church. Do you wake up in the morning with that in your mind? My great-grandmother, every day she would come out of her bedroom with a smile on her face, and she would say, this could be the day. This could be the day. Do you have that thought regularly? Now, here's often what I feel. I turn on the news. <laughs> you, know, you know what that's like. You turn on the news and you're like, oh man, what a mess. And you cry, come Lord Jesus. That's the negative side of it. Oh, it's a mess. No, but what about the good part of it? He's coming. He's coming to get us. Could be today. It could be a year from now. What if, what if we knew when it was? How would that change the way you live your life? We are to live as if His return is coming at any moment. The nearness of our salvation is what Paul is calling. He says it's nearer now than when you first believed. Well, that's a funny way to say it, isn't it? Because he's saying that to the people who lived back in the day. And if it was near for them, just think how near it is for us all these years later. His point is, don't live as if the rapture of the church is some distant reality that doesn't affect you, that has no hand in the way that you live your life. We are to live with His imminence. He says, your salvation is at hand. Your salvation is coming. And so we've got to remember, what does that mean? You say, well, I thought I was saved. Well, yes, you are. You are saved in Jesus Christ. The moment that He lit the, the fire in your heart and you saw Christ and you saw glory and you felt the weight of your sin and you said, save me. Yes, that was the moment you were saved. Justification. So you, you are positionally saved, declared righteous in Christ. And we live each day from that point on in progression or progressive sanctification. That is, we grow in 
this salvation. We become who we already are, as we covered already in Romans. We are being made holy as we are positionally holy in Christ. So you can say we have been saved, we are being saved, and what Paul says here is we will be saved. This is the the, the final fullness of our salvation. This is when sin is done away with and no more. Glorification. It is when we are made perfect, either at His return or upon our death. And we just have to stop here and say, no one here in this room can say that either of those things won't happen today. Not a one of us can say that either of those realities is not going to come and meet us today. It could happen today. We could die and meet Him face to face. He could come and we would be caught up in the air to be with Him forever. The imminent return is the word here. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. Some people say of eschatology, oh, it'll just, you know, it'll just all pan out in the end. I'm a pan-millennialist. And I don't like that. I really don't like that. And here's why. You can't write off eschatology as just what seminary people talk about. Eschatology or the end times, the study of the end times, Revelation, for example, prophecy, it has everything to do with how you think about today. It changes your today when you have an eye for what is coming, what is promised, what may be soon, very soon. So, these words don't fit for the Christian life. Drowsy, sleepy, apathetic, distracted, unengaged, ho-hum, yawn your way through the Christian life. Or, live your best life now. That's what you got to do, right? Go make your money. Build your kingdom. Take what you can. The prosperity gospel is the antonym of the gospel itself from the Bible. We are called to live for His kingdom full on, all in, every day, as if it is our last day. Hmm. What if the church around the world, God's people, the true church, those who are saved, what if we lived like that? For just a week, just one week, Imagine what those around us would say. I think this call of Paul is, is extremely significant for us. It's easy to fall into that thing like, like they say in the Scriptures, you know, well, every day goes on like it always has. Just as in the times of Noah, right? And then the flood came and swept them all away. We are not to subscribe to, nah, it's just, it's a long-term thing. We're, it probably, it's going to be another you know, thousand years at least. I, we don't have to worry about No, that's not acceptable for believers. The call is be awake, be watchful. And now it, it transitions then into be obedient and holy. So what does it mean to be awake? What does it mean to wake up, Christian? Wake up! Well, part of what it means here is not just to be alert and watching for His return, but to be preparing yourself for the holiness that you are going to step into when He returns. 
If holiness is not significant and a love and a desire of us now, why do we think it's going to be wonderful then? We should live for the arrival point that is coming our way. God has called us out of darkness into light. We are called to be a holy people right now, right here in this world. So, the call then moves into verses 12 and 13. Stop living in your PJs. That's what I, that's what I see here. Stop living in your PJs. Wake up! Okay. <clears throat> verses 12 and 13. The night is far gone, Paul says. The day is at hand. We're not living in the dark anymore. Just a second. <clears throat> My throat is giving me problems. Ah, nothing like water. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Okay, so the idea here is that if you are going to be suited for the day, prepared, ready, awake, alert, then you've got to cast off the darkness. And, and the way he describes it here is the, the works of darkness. He talks about them like garments. Cast off the works of darkness. Key word here is purity. So urgency, then purity. Purity. Ditch the PJs and get your armor on. That's what Paul's saying. That's my translation. Ditch the PJs and get your armor on. I got a couple guys here that are going to help me out with this. Come on up, Lincoln and Declan. Look at these guys. Yeah! You ever got to wear your PJs to church before? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, here, stand right up here. All right. These are my, my brothers here. Okay. Now, I happen to have a sword. Can you hold that? Give it both hands. Get down here and hold that. Okay, that well, yeah, but up here. Put that one. Okay. You got it? Hold it straight up. Don't let it tip over on your bro. Okay. Okay, you got it. And then, how about this one? Oh, man. Now, should I spread you guys out a little bit here? <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Okay. What are we missing? Armor. Where's your armor, guys? You came to battle dressed in your PJs. That doesn't make any sense. This is what Paul is, this is the image that Paul is drawing for us. He's like, listen, guys, if you are, if you are ready to, to, to stand and fight against the darkness and shine bright and, and, and bring the attack against the enemy, then why are you wearing your PJs? Did someone get a picture of that? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, thank you, guys. You guys are brave. Nice work. Good job. Stop living in your PJs. Every now and then I go to Walmart. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. I've said that a few times there. Stop living in your PJs. There is a certain sense in which in the Christian life we are to think about what are we clothed in? We carry a name. His name is Christ. 
The name of Jesus Christ is on us. We are Christians, and yet, oh, how easy it is to walk in this world and not pay attention to what we're wearing. Hmm. Robed in the works of darkness. This is not what we are to be in this world. It, 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 it pulls down our testimony. It's conflicting with who we are and are to be as we shine. Paul goes on, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Let's start here with properly. Let us walk properly. This word means also honorably or becomingly. I like to think of the word adorn. How does my life adorn the glory of Christ? How does my life complement the gospel? How does my life show forth the fruits of what is righteous and holy? I have a holy God. I am called to to reflect Him into this dark world. But if I am wearing the robes of darkness, my light is not shining. I'm, I'm a living contradiction, as it were. That's why 1 John is so clear in chapter 1. If you claim to love the light, but you live in the dark, you lie. And the truth is not in you. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of His Son cleanses us from sin. We are robed in what? The righteousness of Christ. Perfectly in this life? No. Progressively in this life. We go to war with sin in us. We seek to cast off the works of darkness. Here are some of the works that Paul has in mind. These are not just for the Romans. They meet us here today because you know what? Sin has the same impulse in us that it had in Rome. And anywhere in the world to this day, you can find these behaviors. They are not new to fallen humanity. They are not new even in the echo of instinct in Christians to call us back to who we were. It's not who we are now. But this behavior is totally inconsistent. Orgies or carousing. You notice how he connected these. Drinking and carousing. Or drunkenness and carousing. If you ever wondered a petri dish for sin, it's the local bar. It's a petri dish for sin. Now, I'm not saying that having a drink, as John mentioned last week, it's, it's for, for many of you, having a drink is, is not a sinful decision. You're free, right? And that, we're going to talk about some of that stuff as we move into chapter 14, freedom in Christ, okay? So it's not wrong necessarily to have a beer, but there are some serious questions that have to be asked. Is it one or two or three or five or six? Drunkenness is in view. That is absolutely unacceptable. And the question is not, well, how close can I get to drunkenness and not sin? That should never be in our hearts. The question is, how far can I run from drunkenness? So, if you have a glass of wine in the evening, wonderful. If you can't not have a glass of wine in the evening, not wonderful. Okay, if you have to have it, let's dial it in. Coffee. 
broaden it out. The substance. If you find yourself saying, I have to have, fill in the blank. You, my friend, may be depending upon a substance rather than the Lord in an unhealthy way, in an unloving way to the God who is. This is an amazing thing to consider drunk, drunkenness and carousing. Uh, Paul says, cast it off. Cast it off. Get rid of it. The Christian should not partake in wild parties and, and, and petri dishes of sin. That is not where, that's not our scene. It may have been, but not anymore. It's not who we are. If we want to talk about abortion, we need to go back a little farther as well, don't we? You know what leads to a lot of abortions? Drinking and carousing. Wild parties. Throwing off thought. Self-control. Throwing in yourself fully into the works of the flesh. Giving room to run. for what. And friends, this is not just out there. It happens in churches. One of the ways to oppose abortion is to shine the light of love and righteousness in holy living such that there is a way held out to the world that says, oh, this is so much better. There's freedom here. There is satisfaction in saying no to every single impulse of your body. You are not a slave to you. Your body is a slave to you. You are in charge. Not every impulse that you have. So, substance abuse. It's a real thing. It's an issue. It's a problem, and it's a problem even in the church. So I just want to encourage you, even family members here, listen. If you or a loved one is clearly struggling with any form of substance, love them. Speak up. And vice versa. If you are struggling, love your family. Love the Lord. Love the lost. Do what needs to be done to cast it off. Take it seriously. Closely connected here, sexual immorality and sensuality or promiscuity is another word for that. These things go hand in hand. This is not to be a part of the Christian life. This is the works of darkness. We are to cast them off. So let's be clear, in all their forms, promiscuity, wandering eyes. Guys, let's be clear. It is not okay for you to constantly scan a woman's body. That's not consistent with the fruit of righteousness. Lock eyes with her face and hold, hold her face in your hands. Right there. Look at her eyes and that's it. Honor her with your eyes. Make a covenant like Job did with your eyes. I'm grateful for the modesty on display in this church. I, I just got to say, thank you ladies for caring for your brothers in Christ in the way you decide what to wear. I have been in churches previously where this was a real problem. And I commend you, women of Good Shepherd, thank you for loving your brothers in this way. We live in a culture that 
I can't even imagine how short the shorts can be and still be considered clothing. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, what else is there to lose when it comes to thread count? I mean, they should lower the price if you're paying for less material. It makes no sense. There is a culture intoxicated on sensuality. A market thriving on selling it to you and to your neighbors. In Whatcom County, it is everywhere you look. And in that darkness, believers are called to cast it off. Have nothing to do with it. Let's talk about pornography. When it comes to the believer, pornography in any form is a robe of darkness. It has no place in your life. Not even a hint. Men, do what needs to be done to make war on this. Don't allow a foothold for the enemy in your life. Don't carry a condemned conscience everywhere you go. Be free. It's not who you are. It's not who you are to be. And it's not who you will be. It's dark, evil. It dishonors women. We are to have no part of it. We can shine in this way. Do you think it's harder for us than it was for the Romans? It's easy to fall into that. Well, it is on our phones. It's accessible, yes. Guess what? The Romans, everywhere you went, there was promiscuity and public displays of horrific depravities. So, We can't give ourselves a pass and just say, oh, woe is me, it's so hard. It is hard. Make war. Go to war in the strength of the Lord. Choke out the deeds of darkness. Give them no room. Quarreling and jealousy. Isn't it interesting that this made the list? We find ourselves in a culture (laughs) where quarreling, bickering, arguing, dissension is it's just expected it's especially in the world of politics if you bring up a political discussion or right about now you start talking about the second amendment it is assumed you are going to have strife but what if god's people chose to de-escalate what if we rose above the tit for tat back and forth I put my guard up and you attack and then I come back kicking and screaming. No. What if we say no to all of that? And we say yes to gentleness and kindness and peace and the fruits of the Spirit. Patience. Love. Oh, friends, we, we can shine like never before in this nation more and more. The darker this state gets, the greater our opportunity. Jealousy made the list as well. Believers, let's be clear. What do you have to be jealous of? You own the world. (laughs) Do you realize that? Through Christ, you inherit the world. All things. It's already yours. 
There's no reason for jealousy and quarreling. This is a list of robes of darkness we are to cast off. Look how the connection with love comes in. This is from Ephesians. Now, this is the same author, the Apostle Paul. Look at how he flows. So in Romans, he's talking about love, then he's talking about holiness. Look at the connection. Walk in love, believers, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity, here it comes, almost the same list. Covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper, same word, proper for the saints or among the saints. Not a hint. Don't even allow it to be named among us. Oh, friends, that we would resolve to go to war like that with the flesh. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Humor is a mask for depravity so often. Don't fall prey to this. Don't for, don't for a laugh commit sin. It's not worth it. When those jokes are told at the water cooler, it's not funny. You need to find a way either to respond or to leave. Don't participate. Don't just slap your knee along with everyone else in the world. Stand out. These are out of place for you, believer. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Oh, friends, what an amazing replacement for these these worldly gutter issues. Instead, what do we bring? Thanksgiving. Oh man, I'm just grateful. I'm so thankful for God, for His provision. Look at that sun today. We come in with that at the water cooler. Guess who's drawn in? Dude, what do you have? What's going on with you? How come you're not moaning and groaning and complaining like everyone else here? I got something. You changed my life. Right? Opportunities for evangelism explode in this way. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetousness, that is, an, an idolater, those who live in such a way have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, even if they listen to praise 106.5. Okay? Let's be clear. We live in a, in a label world. You just slap the label on, you can live however you want. That doesn't fly. Not with Jesus. Now, if that's the culture, say up in Linden or in Whatcom County, that is a godless, hypocritical culture. That is not Christian living. How do we confront that? By being authentic, real, honest, gospel people who live with a love for the light, who say no to sin, who make war on all its expressions in our lives. He goes on and he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Think of, think of Lot fleeing from Sodom. In holiness, that is what we're choosing to do from a a world of darkness. Not saying we have nothing to do with you, we don't want to be around you, we we stiff-arm you, 
We're saying we don't want sin, darkness, and evil to define us so that we can reach you in love and have a contrast with the dark. Don't become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness. Not not just in. You were dark before you were saved. But now you are, this is who you are, you are light in the Lord. So walk in love, walk as children of the light. That is love and light. They go hand in hand. Put on the armor of light. That's the call. So cast off the works of darkness, all kinds of forms of slavery and and darkness and sin, and put on the armor of light. Lose the PJs, get your sword, and put on the armor. What is the armor? Well, we think immediately of Ephesians 6, don't we? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. If you want to look about armor in your life, Christian, there is your your checklist. That's what it looks like to armor up. Paul goes on here. I titled this last verse, Don't Pack a Lunch for Sin. I heard this from someone years ago. I don't remember who it was. And I I, I just love this this verse with this connection. Don't pack a lunch for sin. It begins with this. Verse 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want the armor of light, this is where you start. You start with the Gospel. You start with understanding what He did to purchase you from your sin and darkness and slavery he bled and died we don't treat sin as no big deal in this church because christ didn't either it cost him his life he didn't die so that we could skip around and play with sin that's that's not why he died he died so that we would be free And so when we put Him on, when we trust in Him, when we believe in Him, and we seek to live in His likeness, we go after sin in our lives. Key word here is integrity. So urgency, purity, and integrity. I got those from John MacArthur. I thought that was excellent. A a summary of these verses. Purity and integrity. Urgency to begin with. We are to be robed in Christ's likeness. Now, positionally, we already are, right? When the Father looks at you, Christian, He sees you covered in the righteousness of Christ. Every time Christ obeyed, by faith I obeyed. Every time Christ honored the Lord and pleased His Father, by faith I too now stand positionally in that righteousness. All of my failures and sins have been paid in full they have been dealt with so progressively we become who we already are in christ when my life is inconsistent with who i am in christ then i go after that spot in my life when i respond in sin instead of in righteousness i say no no that's not okay let's deal with this let's figure it out get to the roots and seek adjustment and change Robed in Christ's likeness. 
And then he says this, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And this is so insightful. What a true, insightful look into the soul, even of a believer. How, how easy it is for us to say to sin, you know what, I, I did pretty good over here in this area. I, I, I feel like I've gotten some victory here. I don't, I don't wanna, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to let that be and give room for sin in my life. The word here, provision, it, it brings us to mind. It, it brings like a sack lunch. It's as if you're, you're preparing for your day and you're thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk with you today. I, I want to shine bright. I want to love you and I want to love the lost. But you know what? I just don't feel like fighting this today. I'm just going to let this go. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I'll deal with this tomorrow. And you put into your sack lunch accommodation for sin or a pattern in your life, an area of temptation that you know you need to deal with, but you know what? The implications are too significant, so I'm just going to let it slide, and and I'll deal with it another day. And you pack that in your lunch. It is so easy for us to fall into this as believers. Well, I'll deal with it another day. Lord, we're working on other things today. We'll just let it slide. I know I should stop cussing. I know it's inconsistent, but, you know, it's hard. I I struggle with that. I know I should stop, I mean, fill in the blank. The Lord, even now, through His Spirit, can bring to your attention what's in your sack lunch. Where are you inclined to make provision for sin? To allow leash for that dog to roam in your life. Paul says, listen, no excuses, Christian. No justification no accommodation of sin. Not a hint. The bar that we aim for is the righteousness of Christ. And, friends, there is a way to progress in sanctification. There's hope. You can grow. You can have victory. You say, well, pastor, I have fought this for years. I have battled this sin or this response in this category over here. I I can't get free of this Whatever it is, fill in the blank. I can't. And my answer is, yes, you can. According to the Word of God, you have, you have the resources of an infinitely powerful God to bring to bear. Get after it. Do what needs to be done. I mean, listen to Jesus. If your eye causes you to sin, then tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. By the way, Jesus believed that hell was real. Unlike Rob Bell, I'm going with Jesus on this. He says, in hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In other words, suffering forever. What's it worth? Would you rather suffer a little bit now as you seek to kick that addiction? Do what needs to be done. Go get help. Go to a treatment facility. Go for a year if you have to. Do it. Make war. Get a friend, as John was saying. Bring someone in. Get accountability. Get help. 
Don't squander your days only to find out that you accommodated sin and you may not even be saved. That's what Jesus is saying. It's possible that if you are making this much room for sin, that you're not serious about following Christ and trusting Him and, and, and really giving your life fully to Him. I say that with care because the gospel is very simple. Look to Him. Believe in Him. He's done the work. You're not working to earn your salvation. But it's dangerously possible to say, Lord, I, I believe You, but I love this more. I choose this substance. I choose this expression of sin over You, Jesus. Jesus says, if that is what You choose, You will go to hell. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Nothing held back. I give it all. Jesus is not talking about actually ripping your eye out. He's talking about being violently engaged in fighting sin in your life. If you can't handle a phone, don't have a phone. If you can't handle a computer, don't have a computer. Do what you got to do. There are others who live this way. That doesn't mean everyone can't. But sometimes, you have to be extreme when you fight against sin. John Owen said it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin. If you're not playing offense, you are being killed by sin. Go hunting for sin in your life and take no prisoners. Our response this morning we are called to live in the light of His coming. When Christ returns in glory and perfect holiness, He is going to draw us up with Him in the clouds. And we will be with Him forever. The holiness that we experience then should not be completely foreign to us in this life. In part, yes. Someday in full. We are to love holiness we are to love God with all our heart. That's part of this, this connection here. Love, urgency, purity, integrity. How does my hatred of my sin connect with my love for lost people in my neighborhood? It has everything to do with that. How does my hatred for my sin connect with my love for each of you? You see what I mean? You can't separate that. If I don't go after the sin in my life, I hate you. I don't love you. I am choosing to harm you as I embrace sin. And it works both ways. It's for all of us as a family. We love one another when we make war on sin in our lives. We love the lost and we certainly love the Lord. So we, we finish where we began. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Now listen to what John says. It's the same thing. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as the Savior, the King, the Holy One, Jesus Christ, is pure. Let's pray.
Oh God, we are people with sin-stained hands. We have been forgiven. Yes, Lord, thank You for the victory we have in Jesus. But Father, we still live in this world and it is, it is a culture of sin. It's all around us. We battle the enemy of our souls who would tempt us in all kinds of ways to sin. But even more importantly, we battle the old self with its propensity and inclinations to sin, to go back into the dark, into the grave that You have delivered us out of. We pray, O oh God, that we would be those who take seriously the call to holiness, not to try to earn salvation, but to delight in it and to make it come alive in our lives through the power of Your Holy Spirit. Thank You, Father, for giving us the resources that we need to wage this war. We pray that we would be those who show up to the battle not dressed in our PJs, but in the armor of Christ-likeness, who have given thought, Lord, as a church, we've given thought to how we bring this war, how we fight, what we need to do to, to attack and, and hunt and kill the sin in our lives. Oh, Holy Spirit, even now, I pray that you would land these words in power and bring deliverance, bring freedom, bring a tenacious resolve to hunt and kill sin. That we might love you more, oh God. That we might love one another more. And that we might reach the ends of the earth with love and a connection to this light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.